Good day, everybody. I want to welcome you to our Conversations with Authentic Leaders. My name is David Irvin, and it's my pleasure to have you join us today. As those of you who know me know that I am passionate about leadership and about the ability, where does that understanding that ability to influence actually come from? Where does it actually come from? And it's my premise that where that ability comes from is through our presence. It's about who we are. It's not so much about the tools as it is about the tool users. You can get lots of tools, uh, and they're good. You know, you can get a lot of good tools and techniques and strategies for being a leader. But if you think back in your life, who are the people who made a difference to you? Who are the diff people who made a difference in your organization? Who are the people who were able to really take a passion and turn it into reality that made a difference in the world? And it's my premise that, it, that the ability to do that didn't just come from a set of tools and techniques. So we don't, leadership is far too important to be diminished to just a bunch of techniques. And it's my premise that it's about who you are as a person. And so the theme of these podcasts is about really understanding the nature of the human experience and how does the evolving sense of who you are as a person and who your presence is, how does that impact your leadership? And to do that, what I've been doing is having some conversations with some pretty incredible leaders. And it is my good fortune today to have a good friend that I'm going to have a conversation with, Mark Sable. Now, Mark is a guy that I've known for a number of years, and I have respected and admired over these years his ability to build a team around him, to inspire people and to engage people to be their best self. And I've always been in awe of the work that he does. He has been predominant. I'm going to let Mark introduce himself, but I, he's been predominantly a leader in the public relations field. But I'm going to let you uh, listen to our conversation today, and it's my good fortune, Mark, to welcome you. Mark Sable, thanks for joining us. Thanks, David. Uh, you're, you're, as always, very, very kind, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm honored to be here, so I look forward to our discussion. Now, would you just tell, let's start off just by having you share a little bit about yourself, um, about your current leadership role, your passion, your vision. Where are you at in terms of uh, your work these days? What are you doing these days? That is a great question. So most of my career has been managing the design and creative process at a uh, number of different agencies and organizations uh, as well. And so my teams have all been made up of a broad mix of people. So you've got um, what we call creative folks who are art directors, writers, designers, uh, and that sort, as well as project managers who are pretty much the exact opposite in terms of temperament and approach to their work, uh, and finance people and accountants, etc. So it, my uh, the, the teams that I've had have been very, very diverse in, in terms of personality, but um, being in the creative industries, they're also uh, you know, diverse as, as people as well. 
So have you developed a, a, what I would call a leadership philosophy that you could articulate? What does it take today to be a leader? And, and what does leadership maybe look like? Maybe we start there in your world. You bet. Um, I, I always like the simplest sort of explanation for things. And the one that I really gravitate to is, is a leader is a person that has people following him or her. And it's, it's a functional sort of uh, uh, functional sort of definition because if you don't have anybody following you, then you're not a leader. So it's not about your title or it's not about your position or anything like that. It's simply are people following you. And if they're following you, guess what? You're a leader. And if they're not, then you're not. And so I, I like to, that's, that's sort of the, the way I gauge whether what I'm doing is working or not. So when I look at what leadership means today, uh, it, it's, it's the same that it's been since time immemorial, but people are different now. And so leadership has to be different if you're going to get them to follow you. And so I would argue a couple of things that, first of all, what you're suggesting I'm not arguing, but I'm, I'm actually just uh, building on what you've said, that, f- that you could have followers without any kind of title, that people g- grasp and in- are inspired by you. Uh, in fact, some of the frontline staff might be better leaders than the people who are actually, quote-unquote, running the company. I, I think that, uh, I, I'm guessing that there's nobody on your podcast that would disagree with that. I think that's that's absolutely true, and and what I often end up finding is, um, you know, as I advance in uh, my career, the the teams that I end up leading get younger and younger and younger, um, because uh, you know it's, it's a young person sort of business in many sort of ways, um, and so that really jumps out when you know you're. Uh, you have the title, but you've got folks that are young and ambitious and really hardworking who are in and of themselves outstanding leaders. And I think to your, to your earlier point, it, again, it's not about um, anything other than the fact that people will follow them and listen to what they say. And that can be an intern. The other, uh, not too long ago, we had a, an intern that was an absolutely fantastic leader um, because everybody listened to what she said, and, and she was a real um, coalescer of action, if you want to call it that. And uh, she didn't have the title, uh, but she had the ability to get people to, to, to do stuff. And as a leader, then, as the person with the title of the leader, or the, the expectation that leadership will be done is put on you, then you have to make some decisions. What do you do with those people who are, uh, they don't have the title, but are great leaders? And how do you uh, approach your own role when you've got uh, groups of people with various levels of leadership ability? So it begs a question that I just got to step back and ask you. How has the nature, when you say follow, I want to understand actually what that is. And is 
is the nature of following different today than it was 20 years ago? Uh, is, 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 do people expect you to be, to be different, uh, to be a follower? In other words, uh, you know, you can follow someone through a title and say, you know what, I'm the boss, so this is what you have to do to follow me. But I think you're talking about a very different notion of following. Can you tell me what your notion of following is? Yeah, you bet. Um, from my perspective, it, there's you can approach leadership in two ways when you're looking at following. You can you can approach it as I am the leader, so therefore um, I need to be the person directing everyone's activity and looking at activity as following. Or you can say I'm the leader. And my job is to make sure that all the things get done that need to get done, however that happens. And in the latter case, you don't need to be directing everyone's activity. You just need to make sure that all of the right activity is actually happening. And so it, it, it's, uh, the, the second version sort of takes you, gives you the opportunity to step back a little bit and say, hey, you know what, uh, if we've got people that are leaders throughout the team in their own right, then let's make their skill set work for us and get them to, to help kind of push things forward. Anytime you have a group of people, as you know, there there's a lot that's got to get done. There's a lot of momentum that has to get created. If you're trying to drag people along from the top, and you know, drag the whole group of people just by your own sheer force of will, you'll get some momentum, but you're not going to get, you'll get some direction, you'll get some movement, but you won't necessarily get the, the sustainable momentum. Whereas if you've got people throughout the team who are also pulling in the same direction, using their natural skills as leaders to the extent that it's been developed, then you can generate some real momentum. So it's kind of like the difference between motion and momentum, I would say. And can you elaborate more on what you do with these folks? If there's a short story about this, what do you do with those folks that when you when you identify this is a leader, they come in as an intern and you just know it. It's a little bit like, we're going to get into the topic of authenticity here, it's a little bit like beauty. You know when it's there, even though you can't necessarily articulate it. Is there a short story for what you do with those folks? I think the the, the short story is encourage them. Because whether they know it or not, you know, if they know that they've got some leadership ability or if they don't know it either way, uh, and you want that to be part of the overall team mix, then you got to encourage it. And not many people uh, would, would be upset if you told them, you know what, you've got some real leadership qualities. That, that's something people love to hear. And um, if you tell them that and you can encourage them to do that, then that is something that uh, really keeps them engaged in their job. And, I mean, the reality is, you know, there's titles and there's promotions and there's HR and there's, you know, 
all of the things that you have, all the hoops you have to jump through to increase your position within an organization got nothing to do with your leadership skills or abilities. So what I try to do with folks that, that have that spark is to identify and say, you know what, I think you got something here. Here's what I would do with it if I was you. I'd start putting it to use, you know, in some specific areas, but also now I encourage them to go learn about different approaches to leadership. So ideally they want to pick five or four or three kind of leadership styles that they can dig in on and say, uh, you know, get to the point where you say, okay, if I was going to use uh, Stephen Covey leadership or if I was going to use a David Irvin leadership or if I was going to use a David Marquette, you know, whatever, whatever it is, and then have that as their toolkit in their head so that in their head they can have the ability to deploy the style of leadership needed in the moment, but at the same time just giving them little opportunities and encouraging that spark. That's great. Now, could we just move into the whole area of authenticity and and talk with me about what authenticity has to do with all this capacity to be able to influence people? It's, I mean, it's my premise that, uh, it, it, you know, leadership is about being yourself, and it's it's that simple and it's that complex. Uh, what does that actually mean? to be an authentic leader, what does authenticity have to do with your ability when you identify these leaders as, as, as leaders, these, these new or anyone in your organization as leaders, when you say they're authentic, you know, if, if they're leaders, what does authenticity have to do with that? I think the, um, the and I look at it from the uh, perspective of millennials because I, I got lots of millennials on my team and I always have, even when I was one back in the day. And I think from uh, uh, that generation's perspective, they are really anxious to be doing the right thing. They're anxious to be making the world a better place. They're anxious to be contributing, and, and they're very, uh, very cognizant of that. If, if you're not. Um, uh, authentic enough in, in that sense, then they're going to have a tough time buying into what you're saying. But I think that that crosses all generations. I think it's, it's true of uh, of any generation. They need to know kind of what you're about if they're going to follow you. And, you know, authenticity is a, is a double-edged sword. It's like, uh, I was going to go back to, there's this hilarious uh, comedy sketch with uh, Bill Cosby before he had all the struggles. And, and, you know, he had this great sketch where he said, I talked to a guy that does cocaine. And I'm like, man, why do you do cocaine, man? And the guy said to me, because it intensifies my personality. So I asked him, yeah, but what if you're a jerk? The idea being it makes you more of what you already are. So authentic authenticity can, can cut both ways because if you have any deficiencies, and I've got a whole long list of them myself, then leadership is going to make all of those deficiencies very obvious for everyone around you. And so what I discover is uh, authenticity is, is something that it, it's, it's less about being visible and being transparent because if you're a leader, 
that automatically happens. I think for me, authenticity is more about the fact that uh, what what do you do with that? So you can be standing there and all of your flaws are super obvious for everyone around you. Authenticity then is how do you acknowledge that fact and what do you do with it in the group context? So it's not about pretending that you're authentic or pretend, I mean, you know that you've really mastered it when you can fake being authentic, but it's not about, it's not about uh, uh, pretending that you're somebody that you're not, but it's also about acknowledging the full spectrum of who you are and what you bring to your work so that you're not hiding and that you're doing the best you can to be self-aware and that you're open to the, to the blind spots that you might have about yourself. Am I am I hearing you say the same thing? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And and you know the, the idea of self awareness is obviously I think the root of it because guess what? If you're a leader, everybody already knows your flaws. They are out there on full display. And if you have any personality flaws, or if there's anything at all deficient about you, then everybody already knows it. And the what they want to know is, do you know it? Right? We can see your flaws, Mark, and and you you know there's lots of them. So the real question is, are you aware of what everybody else is aware of? And that I think is the 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 sort of the basis for authenticity because if we all acknowledge, yep, I get it, I see all my flaws, and I am what I am. Here's how I'm going to work on that, and how we're going to cover that off together, then that's, I think, really the basis for authentic leadership. But this raises a challenge, Mark, because we're taught not to be direct with people in authority. And so how am I possibly going to come to you and tell you what your flaws are? Uh, because you're the boss, after all, um, if, if you're in a position of leadership. And if even if you're not, this is not something we're very skilled at at how to sit and talk with each other about our flaws. We can get it through a 360 feedback where you can do it all anonymously, and then we end up leaders uh, beating themselves up because they, they're perceived by others as, as having flaws. How does one create a dialogue in an organization from your experience that brings the flaws to the surface, that acknowledges them with a sense of self-respect and honesty at the same time? That's a great one. Um, so it, it is cultural, right? So there are some cultures where they're all too happy to talk to the boss and point out all of the boss's failings. Uh, and then there's some cultures that are more hierarchical and, and you know, less comfortable with that, uh, that closeness. But I think, you know, for, in our context in North America, you're right. It, it's, it's not always easy to, to uh, tell the boss uh, what's, what's, you know, where his or her failings are. That being said, of course, a lot of the young people I work with are not shy, uh, and they don't have that sense of, of respect for authority um, that, you know, kind of my generation does. So I think that's eroding. Um, either way, doesn't matter. That the, the responsibility lies with the leader. And if you're self-aware enough to know of where your flaws are and how that impacts 
the job that's got to get done. It's your responsibility to let everybody else know that you know what they know. And then go to the next step and say, here's my flaws and here's where you, the team, are going to cover me off because we got each other's back. So, for example, uh, a, a little example, uh, but it's not so little. You know, in, in the in, in my kind of part of the world, um, copywriting and editing material is super important because if you send out material into the public with a mistake, then that's bad. I happen to be horrific at editing or spell checking or anything like that. I can look at, at something that's spelled completely wrong, and to me it looks great. I, I may even be mildly dyslexic. Who knows? But I know that about myself. So what I do is I say to the team, you don't want me spell checking. You don't want me to be editing anything because I don't have the attention to detail at that level, and it all looks the same to me. So to do that, we're going to have you know those of you who are good at that need to step in and cover me off. And that deploying of uh, flaws and covering off each other's flaws, I think, is, is part of the real essence of authentic leadership. But it, it starts with you. You need to be self-aware enough, and then you need to let everybody else know that you are also aware of what they are already painfully aware of. Well, it also, Mark, leads to the importance of the notion it isn't if I have flaws, it's what are they? And, it, and we all got them. And let's, it, it holds a different perspective when you get some negative feedback, whether it's direct or indirect through an anonymous survey. It, instead of uh, beating ourselves up, we can look at it with a lot more patience, I think, and say, well, okay, that's what they are. Now let's work with them. Let's bring it out into the open. Let's, uh, let's acknowledge them. And let's not pretend they're not there. But it, it begs the, uh, the question, you know, how does one make sure that you hold this uh, important principle that they're going to be there? Let's just uh, see what they are. And it, you can bring a sense of curiosity and confidence into the whole process because it's not a diminishing of yourself to recognize that you have some flaws. They're all going to be there. No, absolutely. And, and it's, it's a diminishing to yourself if you can't be bothered to find out what your flaws are, right? That, that's, that's, uh, you can get away with that if you're not a leader, but if you're a leader, that's not an option because you, everybody's got flaws. And if you don't know them, then you can't actually deploy everybody's skill sets in a way that makes sure that the team as a whole is, is covered off. Okay. So now I have to ask you, how did you get this awareness? Because I'm going to tell you, not all leaders have this awareness of themselves and this level of self-acceptance that you have developed. Now, when I take leaders away for four days in my retreats in Banff, we have them, one of the exercises that I have them do is to identify what were your defining moments? What made you who you are? What, made, what, what, what was the, you know, the significant defining experiences in your life that developed you? And made you who you are. So I am curious as to how, what your experiences and stories might be that come to mind that you would attribute to your awareness. Now, my premise, prob my premise is that you're likely not 
seeing these as necessarily gifts because it's just part of who you are. And the the best leaders that I've met don't even see themselves as leaders. They just are hanging out and doing what they love to do. And they don't necessarily see that this is a strength. The ability that you have to articulate what you've just articulated in the last 20 minutes here is actually a strength. So where'd you get that from? How would you say would be your explanation for, were they defining moments? Were they experiences in your life? Were there people in your life who who helped shape you and make you who you are? How would you articulate your awareness? Failure. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, necessarily the quick, quickest on the uptake, but eventually I catch on. And after smacking my head against the wall so many times, uh, I finally realized that, Hey, you know what? Uh, I'm not fooling anybody. Uh, everybody is is all too aware of, of my shortcomings. So, um, and those shortcomings that I have in my personality don't go away. That's that's kind of who you are. Um, you you work around it and you adjust, but the, you know you always end up making the same mistakes over and over again. So I think for me it was just a sheer uh, banging my head against the wall so many times that I realized that I was doing it wrong. And so I think those those failures. Um, we're, we're really the guideposts along the way to say, yeah, okay, here's, here's the obstacle that you face, Mark. And like the Stoics say, the obstacle becomes the way that you need to go. And so um, I realized that, it, yeah, I need to, um, I need to make sure to, to do what we've been talking about. So I think failures along the way was a big one. Um, and those looked like, uh, you know, those failures looked like the disappointment in people, right? They, they would be disappointed in me because I either didn't know enough about my own shortcomings or once I did figure it out, I tried to snow everybody and pretend they didn't exist. And that obviously doesn't work. So I think really it's, it's the, the sort of failings along the way. And there's also a series of books uh, written by this guy, David Irvin, that work fantastic and super helpful, uh, and I highly recommend them if uh, if you haven't heard of him. Well, that's very gracious of you, Mark, but I have to, I have to suggest that not everybody who fails learns. And uh, maybe if you fail enough, you'll eventually learn, but we all know people who have failed continually in their life been through maybe some of the same experiences that you've been through and either uh, denied the learning that came out of it or crumbled under it and just crashed and didn't respond to it. So how is it, where did that come from, that ability that you have to be not just resilient, but to be resilient with some wisdom that comes with it? Where did that come from? Great question. Um, I, the first thing that pops into my mind is the idea that you're going to be okay, right? If if you're going to be okay no matter what happens uh, in this particular role or this particular job or this particular company, then you can hold the role a little less with a death grip. You can hold it a little loosely and say, I am going to do this uh, job uh, with 199% effort.
effort and just go at it with everything I've got. If it doesn't work or if I fail at it, I'll be okay. And that ability to to say I'm I'll be okay then allows you the freedom to watch yourself and learn from your own experience. It gives you the freedom to treat yourself like your own social science experiment. If you can remove yourself a little bit, make it less personal, make it less terrifying, make it so it's okay and you've got a little bit of distance from it all, then you're able to go ahead and say, you know what, that didn't work. So instead of hanging on for dear life and forcing it to work because if you don't, then everything will fall apart, then you're free to say, yep, that didn't work, so I really need to pivot and try something different here. And so that that, that underlying certainty that you're going to be okay no matter what happens gives you the freedom to take those risks and change things up in, in the moment as you see that new information coming in. Implied in that, Mark, is this notion which seems uh, so obvious, I'm embarrassed to say it, but failure is going to happen. You, you cannot grow uh, without it. And so what you're suggesting, I think, is, is to be a little more accepting of ourselves in the journey toward making mistakes and recognizing that that we're not flawed. I, I think there's a difference between thinking I'm flawed and then thinking I'm flawed about being flawed. And that, that we really diminish ourselves if you do the latter. If you don't if you can also say, I'm a I'm a respectable human being that has flaws and failures and this is this is who I am, as opposed to protecting ourselves and defending ourselves against the flaws, which will be actually contributing to a lack of authenticity and a lack of uh, people's willingness to be influenced and to follow you. Yeah, no, totally. You, I mean, the, the, the trite saying is, you know, leadership is a voyage of self-discovery. Well, if you're not interested in discovering your, your, your good bits and your, your bad bits, don't be a leader. Like, don't even pretend like go do something where you don't have to be a leader because if you're not interested in uh, improving yourself or having all of your flaws on public display then that's not the gig for you which is there's nothing wrong with that but I think if you don't go into it with a you know some people will get self-help and they'll they'll do self-improvement and they'll do it in their den uh, leaders do that on full public display in front of everybody. And so if you're not comfortable with doing that, then go, you know, look at something else where you can contribute. <laughs> it's an interesting notion. Uh, it it uh, requires a little more uh, rigor than just, I want a promotion and make more money uh, in order to get into a, so I want to jump into a leadership role. You're really talking about a decision to embark in a very different journey than just having a little bit of uh, authority to be able to say you're a boss. And, and I think that's a huge failing of most of our organizations. And you hear it constantly, and no one is doing anything really substantive about it. 
where, you know, I'm good at my job doing X, and to make more money, I need to progress up the food chain, and to do that, they're going to give me more leadership responsibility. Well, just because you're good at doing X does not mean you're a good leader. In fact, sometimes people that are terrible at doing X would be a great leader because it's a completely different mindset and a completely different skill set. The two are not necessarily one more valuable than the other, uh, except for the fact that we pretend it is and we make it that way. So the idea that, um, that in order to progress, you need to take on leadership is is... I think a huge failing of most of our organizations because it ends up putting people who should never be leaders in the position where they have to be leaders. And if you put them in that position and they're not ready to do that voyage of self-discovery on public display, then everybody that tries that is going to crash and burn. And I think that's a, that's a big problem. Well, you know, I always say, and anybody that's been in a position of leadership more than two hours understands this, that when you get promoted, you don't get more power, you get more accountability. And we think about that notion of accountability in terms of the results for the organization, but you have just spun a whole new voyage, uh, if you will. Um, You've helped us embark on a whole new adventure when you call leadership a voyage in self-discovery. Hey, if you're going to get promoted here, you better be willing to be engaged in a voyage of self-discovery. And we will support you to do that, um, but you've got to have that commitment. And, you know, it's going to be a unique voyage for – there's no formula. You know, everybody's going to have a unique voyage, but, boy, there's – what would happen to our organizations if we could have that be a requirement for a promotion? That willingness to be a you know to be a, a student of life. It, it would make it an enormous difference. And and yeah, I mean, and adding on to that is yep, it's a voyage of self discovery, and you're not paddling a canoe across a placid lake all by yourself. You're shooting the rapids, and on the edge of the the riverbank are thousands and thousands of people watching your every move. So it's a voyage of self-discovery, but it's incredibly public. And with that comes, if I'm going to throw you into that canoe for public display, requires an enormous amount of support organizationally so that you're never alone in that canoe that we are with you, we've got your back. Um, And then I I imagine that you can approach your team's uh, perspective so that even though they are, you're on public display, you're on a community of public display as opposed to um, a judgmental public display. You're not in a museum here. You're in real life with a real community that cares. Is that a correct assumption? What's your experience of that? Um, I've, I've experienced both uh, both sides of that. So I totally agree that if, if we're putting people in positions of leadership, then part, part of what they need to do is they need to uh, get people to want to support them. they they got to get people to the point where they want you to succeed in what you're doing. And there's lots of ways of doing that. But that idea, a uh, uh, first step of being uh, clearly 
transparent and very open about your own self-awareness of your flaws, uh, that goes a long way, right? That goes a long way for people because there's nothing more endearing than someone who's good at what they do to also know what they don't do well. Now, that's all well and good. But again, like our Stoics tell us, uh, you know, life is, is more of a wrestling match than it is a dance. Like, it's, it, a dance is great, but you don't have people, uh, when you're doing a dance, trying to jump up and choke you. It's more, it's more of a wrestling match. So the challenge with being vulnerable with your flaws is there will be people that will uh, try to exploit it, and they will try to use that against you. And so the other fun part about being a leader is you get to decide who's around you. And so when you get people that respond the wrong way to your openness uh, and try and undercut you and exploit those weaknesses, then you have the opportunity and the responsibility to show them that there will be other places for them to do what they do, but not in your world. Yeah, it, 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 it really helps me understand, Mark, that where so many leaders are afraid of that vulnerability because it exposes their weaknesses and they they feel as though they're uh, are, are going to lose credibility by exposing weaknesses. And I have seen that, frankly, that leaders who stand up and blindly expose their weaknesses uh, can diminish respect. But what you're saying is, yes, I have weaknesses, and you know what? We together can have strengths. And so you, you really step into leadership when you recognize that it isn't just your weaknesses that matter, but that you can use the strengths of others and the talents of others to help compensate that so that you have, can have credibility and confidence as a leader to build a team through that. Yep, absolutely. I've got weaknesses, but guess what? So do you. And uh, the authenticity comes from all of us just being open with that and saying, here's where we see them, and here's how we're going to work around that. And again, for people that want to exploit that, people will exploit your weakness whether you acknowledge it or not. They, they, they'll exploit a, a, a fault of yours whether you choose to let everybody know that you know you've got it as well as they know it. So, you know, there's people that are like that. Those people need to go away because no no team is going to be caring or supportive if you've got people around like that. So, for me, that's a real that's a real non-negotiable. If you're if you're trying to exploit other people's flaws, uh, then that's that's not how you get things done. Well, I have to say, Mark, the best part of my job are the cool people that I get a chance to meet and interact with, particularly these podcasts, the fascinating conversations that I begin here. And I, you know, I, I could talk for the rest of the day here with you. Is there anything that I have not asked you that you would like to share about some of your thoughts about leadership or authenticity or how to be an authentic leader? No, I, I think, that, I mean, really, from my perspective, it, it would be, um, if you're going into that very highly public voyage of self-discovery, uh, you're going to come out of it a completely different person, um, a better person, and uh, not just in your professional life, in, in all areas of your life. And if you thrive on 
having that external pressure to be better, then leadership is is the way you want to do it. Like I'm, I'm the kind of person I won't run. I can't stand running. I don't, you know, I'm not motivated to do it. So if I'm going to run, then I have to sign up for a 5K or 10K. I need that external push. And if you want to be a better human being, leadership is a great push because you will be forced to become better whether you like it or not. And I think the, the tool around acknowledging your own flaws and, and using that, um, you know, that, that authenticity uh, it is really a great mechanism for doing that. Well, you've just also helped me today to uh, frame what I do with these leaders when I take them up in, to Banff for four days and we take them on this voyage of self-discovery and really understanding who you are. I mean, there's nothing like life uh, to do that. And sometimes we have to step back from life and get some perspective, some outside perspective, build an outside community. And, you know, you've really helped me make this work accessible because I, I talk about how important it is to be an integrated human being and how important it is to be authentic. And you've, you've uh, shed some light today on just making this stuff real and practical and understandable and accessible, in my words. So I appreciate very much your wisdom and your perspective and your thoughts. And I hope that the conversation today won't end here, that we will... Uh, you know, that as listeners, that you'll begin your own conversations with your colleagues and close friends around what does this material mean to you? And what is your own journey of self-discovery in your work as a leader, regardless of the title that you have or not have? And the ability to have followers comes from understanding ourselves more fully so that we uh, have no pretense and uh, can imperfectly step into this work uh, as best we can. So, Mark, I thank you and uh, very much appreciate the honor of spending this time with you and uh, look forward to uh, having more conversations with you. Likewise, David. Thank you very much.